The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray together. God, we are in awe of you. God, as I think back of uh, the tons of rain we've had this last week pouring from the sky, God, your love pours down on us even stronger than torrential rain. And you are faithful no matter how many times we've messed up. God, you are always faithful. We thank you for your love and your grace and your faithfulness. We thank you for your spirit at work among us now. God, we thank you that you, you want to speak to us fresh through your word this morning. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears, that we would hear what you're speaking to each of us today. And God, we pray for Pastor Chris. We pray your, your spirit anoints him afresh and directs him as he preaches this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Well, there is a uh, popular children's bedtime prayer that some of you are familiar with. It goes like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. If you grew up praying this prayer, you may need therapy. It's kind of frightful, is it not? I kind of feel sorry for kids whose last thought before going to sleep is always, I might not wake up tomorrow. Uh, they sleep with one eye open. This seems almost like an unhealthy fixation on the frailty of life. However, with adults, I fear that the pendulum has swung to the other extreme. The tendency is to go through much of our lives living as if tomorrow is in fact guaranteed. So often tomorrow is taken for granted. We, we hear people say things like this all of the time, tomorrow... I'll get my life right with the Lord. Sometime soon, I'll get right with Jesus. 
Tomorrow I'll share the Lord with my lost family member or friend. Tomorrow I'll start eating healthier. How many have ever said that one, right? Tomorrow never comes, right? Tomorrow I'm going to make my family time a priority. There's this tendency to push off in our lives urgent priorities with the assumption that tomorrow will undoubtedly come. But there's a question, perhaps one you've been asked before, that I want us to consider this morning, and here it is. What would you do today if you knew that there would be no tomorrow? How would you live your life today if you were sure that there would be no tomorrow? In verse 7 of our text, Peter, under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pins these words. He says, the end of all things is at hand. And essentially, he is telling us to live like there is no tomorrow. When he says the end of all things is at hand, he is referring to Jesus' imminent return, the soon return of Jesus Christ. Now, some may ask, hey, this letter, this epistle was written some 2,000 years ago, and Jesus has still not returned. Did Peter miss the mark? No, Peter did not miss the mark. The wording here, when you look into it, is, is not that Peter was expecting the Lord to return at a particular time in the week or month or year. This was not a prediction, but the language instead suggests that all of God's significant events in His redemptive plan, including the the, the birth and the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, all of these major events in redemptive history have already happened. So the age of the church, the age that we are in, biblically is considered to be the last days. We are living biblically in the last days. You could say it like this, that we are in the last dispensation before Jesus returns. In other words, we are in the final, this is exciting, we are in the final chapter of redemptive history before the return of Christ. Friends, that ought to excite us. And here's why this matters. We should always live in light of His near return. Now, as I have said in in past sermons, living in light of Christ's return does not mean that we kind of sit around twiddling our thumbs, looking up to the sky. No, we are to wait in action. We are to be busy preparing our hearts to meet the Lord and sharing the gospel with those who are far from God, realizing that He could come back any time. How then do we live like there is no tomorrow? Well, I want to give you uh, three implications found in the text here. Three principles for living like there is no tomorrow. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. We are to pray effectively. How many believe we should be a people of prayer? Fervent, relentless prayer. Verse 7 says, Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter here essentially implores believers, listen, to watch and pray. Does that verbiage remind you of anything? 
Peter himself received this command from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, when, right before Jesus' arrest, and he tells Peter and the disciples that they are to watch and pray. Matthew 26, 40, Jesus came to the disciples, it says, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Peter was asked to watch, get this, watch and pray one hour and he falls asleep right before Jesus' arrest. Falling asleep on the job, but now Peter himself, this great apostle, knows the importance in the last days of watching and praying. He knows this firsthand, and so he compels the church to be watchful and to remain prayerful. The apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, warns his apprentice Timothy about the godlessness that will, will prevail and be so prevalent in the last days. And as I read this text, I want you to think about our day and age. Just consider this. This, to me, describes exactly the days in which we are living. Here's what Paul says will define the kind of behavior that will define the last days. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Have you noticed that that is the case today? Lovers of money. This is even spilling over into the church. Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Friends, is that, are, are these not the days in which we are now living? Peter is merely reminding us that even in the face of great persecution and in the front of pervasive wickedness you and I as believers we must stay in our right minds we must watch and we must pray you know we've talked about throughout this series the fact that as Christians living in this culture that we if we're living for Jesus we will often feel like misfits and how many know that can get exhausting when you are living contrary to the culture around you it can be absolutely exhausting and the temptation is just to give in as a matter of fact when Jesus uh, tells the disciples in the garden to watch and pray that they may not succumb to temptation I believe he's essentially saying there Peter and to the other disciples the temptation is going to be when you see my arrest and when you see the way that I'm treated the temptation is going to be to deny me the temptation is going to be to assimilate with, with, with my accusers, just to make your lives more comfortable. Watch and pray that you may not succumb to temptation. That's essentially what Peter is telling us here, that we are to be watchful and we're to pray. We're to stay in our right minds. We're to stay disciplined in these last days. How many believe that? I'm sure that many of you remember the Y2K scare at the turn of the century. How many remember that? 
Remember, businesses and families were absolutely freaking out over the potential crashing of all these infrastructures all over the world due to the two-digit rather than four-digit date format on many of the computer systems. January of 1999, Time magazine included the headline on its cover that read, End of the world, question mark. So many people were absolutely losing their minds. How many knew somebody that had like stocked up on all these canned goods and ammo and everything else, right? Some of you are, are, did that, right? Like you've still got a stash somewhere left over from 1999. People just lost their minds. Y2K lawsuits began to be filed. People started uh, signing up by the droves for wilderness survival boot camps. <laughs> many were storing up food and ammo to prepare for the end of the world. They went absolutely crazy. And in the last days, you know what? In the midst of what may seem to us like chaos in the world, it would be easy to lose our minds, wouldn't it? To feel like God is not in control. To start to doubt some of the things of God and to just kind of give up in our Christian walk. Peter's saying, no, don't go crazy. Don't, don't veer off the, the, the path that you're on. Stay in your right mind. It would be easy to lose focus, would it not? Stay level-headed, stay spiritually alert, if you will, so that, he says, your prayers are not hindered, which tells me this. As we consider, as we live in light of Christ's imminent return, friends, we ought to be a people of prayer. And I feel the church is not serious enough about prayer today. We have a potluck, we'll have lots of people show up and they'll stay a long time. You have a prayer meeting, you're lucky to get a couple of people. We need to be a people of prayer. What then should we be praying for? Well, there are many things we could pray for, so I don't, I'm not suggesting that this list is exhaustive, but using the text, here's what I believe. Number one, I believe that we should be praying that we do not succumb to temptation. You ought to be praying as part of our daily prayer. Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. We ought to be praying, Lord, help me not to give in to the world's ways, but to stay on the straight and narrow pathway. Help me to continue to walk in holiness, even though it's not the popular way, even though I'll feel like a misfit, even though I'll be persecuted for my faith. Help me to live for you. Help me to never be ashamed of you. Help me to live for your glory. Don't let me succumb to the temptation to make my life comfortable. Let me live for your glory, no matter the cost. Secondly, please don't miss this. We ought to be praying, I believe, for the salvation of those who are far from God. How many believe in the power of prayer? How many want your lost friends and family members to be saved? then we need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for them. If you really believe, that you, if you want them to be saved and you believe there's power in prayer, why would you not be on your face daily praying for lost friends and loved ones? Second Peter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. People say, you know, why hasn't the Lord returned yet? He says, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The will of the Lord as He tarries is that that many should come to repentance, which means we ought to be praying for that aim. We ought to be praying for lost loved ones. Finally, we should pray for Jesus' return. That's something that you pray for even so. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is the essence of what we're praying in the Lord's Prayer when we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When is that going to come to fulfillment? It's going to happen at the consummation of the kingdom when Jesus returns. So we are essentially praying, I believe in that prayer, come quickly, Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, the second to last verse of the Bible reads like this, Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. And then it says this, come Lord Jesus. How many can get behind that verse and say, come quickly Lord Jesus. Amen. We ought to, the Bible says we ought to long for his appearing. So how do we live like there's no tomorrow? Number one, we stay in our right mind and we pray effectively. Number two, how do we live like there's no tomorrow? We love each other genuinely. This is a little bit redundant to what we've talked about, but it can't be overemphasized. In verse 8, Peter says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That means fervently. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Peter has emphasized several times throughout this letter that the church should be marked by love for one another. In every chapter up to this point, he has mentioned this. In chapter 1, in verse 22, he says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. He's talking about your fellow Christian. Love other Christians from a pure heart. Chapter 2, verse 17, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. That's one another. Chapter 3, verse 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. So Peter continues to come back to this theme of the importance of love in the last days. In Jesus' priestly prayer in John 17, as he prays to the Father, he prays that we would be one. In other words, that we would walk together in love. Verse 23, he says, the purpose of this is so that the world may know that the Father sent him. Which tells me our love testifies to who Jesus is. Our love for one another testifies to the fact that Jesus is God the Son. In John 13, 35, a verse we talk about often, Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You see the importance of this. We're to love one another. So our love for one another points unregenerate people to the Father and to Jesus Christ, our Savior. So as we pray for people and we pray for the lost loved ones, one of the practical things we can do to show them God and the reality of our faith is to love one another. You go to work and you're complaining and you're frustrated all, all the time about 
something that's said or done at your church. You know what? People are not pointed to Christ. They're not pointed to Christ. They see us no differently than anybody else. But when you overlook offenses and you love and you're patient with the people of God, listen, that, that love, that truth points people to Jesus. You know, I was a youth pastor for many years, and I, I, we've had throughout the years parents who do nothing but complain about how everything's not right in the church, right? Always mad about something. And then they wonder, they're appalled, they can't figure out why their kids don't want to go to church. Duh, right? You need to be careful. Show a genuine love for one another. That's one of the marks of the true Christian. This journey through 1 Peter has reminded us that Times are going to be tough for us in this world if we're really living out our faith. Remember last week we talked about this. You and I, friends, we will be hated for our faith. They hated Christ and they'll hate us. Because wicked people love their darkness. Remember, they get around people of the light and they are, their darkness or wickedness is exposed. Thus, they shun us. So you're going to feel isolated sometimes. Uh, from the world, you are going to feel uh, like a misfit at best. But you know what is so encouraging? The world may hate you, but it's so encouraging to know that you have a church, a family who immensely loves you. Some of you may even lose your blood relatives because of your faith. They may cut you off because you're not engaging in what they once, that you once engaged in. You're not hanging out with them in sin anymore. They just cut you off. But isn't it great to know, I hate that when that happens, but isn't it great to know that we have a church family? So can we get real practical for just a moment? Don't just come to church. Be a part of our community. Be a part of our community. Engage in small groups. Serve. Build relationships. And Peter says that we are to show hospitality to one another. I'll touch on that in just a second. Let me cover one more thing here. He says this, that this kind of love that we're to have covers a multitude of sins. What in the world does Peter mean? Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, Peter has spent a lot of time talking about holiness. How many believe that we're still to walk in holiness? All right, three of you, good. Y'all are dead this morning, killing me. All right, so we're supposed to walk in holiness. Peter said this over and over throughout this letter. There are standards that we are to live by. So he's not saying here, when he says love covers a multitude of sins, he's not saying, you know what? Don't call out sin. Just let people be who they're going to be. Sweep it under the rug. Love covers a multitude of sins. That is not it at all. Instead, he means this. We don't go around sniffing for everybody's faults. Trying to destroy other Christians' reputations. We're patient. We're forgiving. Yes, we deal with sin in, in a godly manner, but we're quick to forgive. This is really speaking against those who will just go around sniffing for sin. You know the type, don't you? I mean, there's always in everybody's business. They're going to find you can have... 20 good things about you, and they're going to find the one little thing that's wrong with you, and they're going to capitalize on it. 
They're going to hound you. He's saying, listen, no. What's the Bible say? Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Love hopes all things and believes all things. That means we ought to be seeing the best in one another. We ought to be searching for the best in one another. The best of intentions. The best of motives. The best qualities. We ought to be encouraging to one another. And then he says that we're to show hospitality. Now, today, when we visit other cities, we book these things called hotels, right? Now the Airbnb thing is kind of popular. But you have all these means of getting a place to stay. That was not so much the case for these early Christians. Many times, they had to depend on people opening their homes for them. Other Christians opening their homes to Christian strangers. And if it were not for the opening of homes that the church would not have moved forward. As a matter of fact, church itself many times happened in the home. They were house churches. And so hospitality was a big thing. And I want to suggest, even though it may look a little different now, I'm not suggesting that you have to have sleepovers with other church people. As a matter of fact, don't do that. That would be weird. Um, but uh, what, what I'm suggesting is this, that you do open your home for other believers within our community. I miss the days when we used to get together for dinner in, in others' homes. You remember the days? I mean, it was nothing on, on, on a Saturday or a Sunday or a, or a Friday evening to go to another church member's house and have dinner. That rarely happens today because we're so individualistic, we're, we're, we're so introverted, we're so into our own lives that we miss the beauty of Christian community. And I just want to encourage you, open your home to other Christians. When you build these relationships within the body of Christ, here's what it will do for you. It'll encourage you when you go to work with a bunch of unbelievers and you feel like a misfit. You will have these relationships within the church that by God's grace will sustain you and will help you. So we need to show hospitality to one another. And then he just throws in this kind of at the end. He says, we're to do so without complaining and grumbling. So when you invite somebody over and they have young kids, don't be like, yeah, I had them over to my house and kids are crazy. They ran through and broke about everything in the house. And they, listen, we fed them a meal, but then they raided our cabinets and ate our Twinkies and everything else as well and drank all of our L8s and na 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 right? Yeah, don't touch our L8s, right? Those are fighting words. We've got to be careful because you can do the right thing with the wrong motive. And if you're being kind and generous to others, but you complain the whole time, I just don't think it pleases the Lord. You've missed the point. I think Peter is saying here, listen, it ought to be a joy and a privilege to open your home to other believers. It ought to be a joy and a privilege to build relationships with other people. There's no greater joy. Tremendous. Nikki and I were pulling out of the parking lot just a few weeks ago, and I just said to her, I said, Nikki, I said, we are so blessed. I know we're not the biggest church in the world, but we have some of the greatest people that we could ever ask for in our church. I, mean, I, I just think about the people that, that God has blessed us with, and I just don't know how you could ask for better people. Perfect people, no. But loving, kind, open people, inclusive people, it's, I just think we're blessed at this church. So I want to encourage each and every one of you, take advantage of the beauty of that Christian community that we have in this church. So how do we live like we're in, like in the last days, like there's no tomorrow? Number one, we pray effectively. Number two, we love genuinely. And finally, don't miss this, we serve 
We serve eagerly. Verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Now, don't miss these words. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Every Christian sitting in this room or listening online, you are a steward of God's grace. Is that not a phenomenal thought? As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me quickly give you four, very quickly, I promise you, four proofs from these final verses about serving. Number one is this. Everyone has a God-given gift that comes by the grace of God. Every one of us have a God-given gift. Every member has some spiritual gift that is simply given by His grace. You know what that tells me? Here's the practical implication. Every single one of you in here are so valuable. You are so valuable. Because I know the tendency is to think, well, I can't sing or I can't preach or I'm not great with kids, so, you know, there's not really anything I can contribute. That's not what the Bible says. It says this, that every one of you have a gift, and you have value. It's incredible. And our gifts are not the same. It says that we are stewards of God's varied grace. I'm grateful that we're not all preachers. We'd be here all day, right? I'm glad that we're not all singers. We'd have nobody to sing to or, you know, to lead. And here's another implication. Because these come by God's grace, we can never boast about our gifts. I can never boast about my preaching. Our singers can never boast about their voices or their ability to pray, play instruments because they're all given by, the, by God's grace. So everyone has a God-given gift. Number two, second truth is this. To function at maximum capability, the church needs every member to use his or her gift. So every one of you, okay, um, I want everybody to do this. If this includes you, lift your hand. Every one of you. Are you included in this? All right. Some of you are included in every one of you. Okay. We need to talk after service. Every one of you has a gift. Touch your neighbor and say, neighbor, he's talking to you. Some of you weren't sure. Every one of you has a gift, which means this. In order for us to function at our maximum, as a church, maximum capability to do all that God's called us to do, we need everybody to use, each person to use his or her gift for the glory of God and the good of the church. We need you. We have so many people that serve every week that just make what you see on Sunday mornings happen. Let me just name some of these positions. We have kids leaders, youth leaders, singers, instrumentalists, writers and editors, ushers, greeters, maintenance people, parking lot attendants, Secretaries, pastors, deacons, accountants, evangelists, cooks, ministry leaders, missionaries, sound and media people, van drivers, halfway house workers, VIP workers, teachers, small group leaders, uh, direct, uh, decorators, and the list could go on and on and on. What you see on the platform is not all that exists in this church. Listen, all of those people who I just mentioned make it possible for me to do what I do with a clear mind. I'm able to focus this morning on the preaching of the Word. 
because of all the great volunteers we have in this church. And if you do not serve regularly, I just want to encourage you to change that immediately for two reasons, okay? So if you don't serve, I won't make you, I won't make you lift your hand, but if you're not serving regularly, let me give you two reasons why you should. Number one, if you don't serve regularly, you will not truly experience Christian community to its fullest. You'll never feel like this is truly your church until you're part of what this church is. You're helping make this happen. You're lock arms with us in Christian service. But for one reason, it's best for you. That's why it's not good enough to sit at home online and just listen to a sermon. You're never going to feel like you're part of the community, and you need that in these last days. But there's another reason, and it's simply this. We need you. We need you. See, there are people that convince that they can sit at home week after week. Listen, if you're on vacation, please listen online. That's a great tool. But if you're at home online right now and you're listening and this is all you do, I'm glad you're getting the word, but it's, this is not a replacement for church. Because here's what people think. They think, oh, I need church. I need to hear the word. Yes, you do. But also, let me just say this to you with a genuine heart. We need you as well. See, a lot of people don't understand their value within the body of Christ. We need you. You've heard that 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and that's true pretty much in our church. We might be at 30%. But just because that is statistically true, listen, I'm not going to accept those statistics for our church. This is not the place to come in and just to sit. We want our people to be involved for the good of the church and for the glory of God. And do you realize that if you are not using your gift to serve the Lord and to serve the church, you are being stingy with the God's grace. You are plugging up the grace of God that's meant to be go through you and be poured out to other people. Just think of that. So I encourage you, if you're not involved, get involved today. See any of our leaders, and we'll be happy to plug you in somewhere. Third truth I see from this. Uh, gifts fall into two main categories, teaching and serving. Whoever speaks, he says, verse 11, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Oracles of God are simply messages of God that He has spoken to His people. And we're blessed to live in an age where we have access to God's written word. God has gifted some people with the ability to teach the word. And teaching the, the Bible is primarily the job of the elders. And, but it's our job as pastors and elders to train up, to equip the church for the work of the ministry. So we in turn find gifted, other gifted teachers who we can teach to be small group leaders, Sunday school leaders, um, discipleship leaders, so on and so forth. And then this would include also the gift of prophecy. This is, these are spoken gifts, the gifts of teaching and speaking. But then there's this other category that are just referred to as the gifts of serving. And this would be a, a, really an inexhaustible list of gifts. Any practical non-teaching gift would fall in this category. These, I want you to hear me, are vital to the church. We had uh, new attendees. We have new attendees who... Just a few weeks ago, the, the husband called me up and he says, hey, he says, um, do you realize, he says, the, the way our building looks on the outside is a reflection of 
what we have on the inside. And I said, that's very true. He says, it bothers me. There's some things, there's some weeds, and, and the flowers are dead, and um, there's junk behind the building that's been there for, I think, since the beginning of time. Uh, and, and he just says, no, can I take care of this? I said, absolutely. <laughs> you don't have to twist my arm. I'm not, I'm not fond of the junk behind the church. But he didn't just say those things. I, I come back no more than a week later. And every single piece of garbage and trash and debris from the back of the building has been removed, carried off by this person to the, to the dump. This is not somebody in a leadership position, somebody new to our church. The beautiful flowers that you see out front was, were, were planted by this family. Weeds were pulled. You know what I love about this? You know what that shows? It shows ownership. It shows ownership. This is somebody who doesn't believe that it's my church. Understand when I say this, it is our church, and ultimately, we're stewards of it. It's ultimately whose church? It's his church. So I love it when regular attenders walk through and they see something that needs to be picked up, or they see a toilet that needs to be plunged and they don't go get the pastor, all right? Because I don't have a special anointing to plunge toilets, I promise you that. I'm not above it, I'm just saying you don't need me, all right? I'm just grateful for people who take ownership. And so I believe that we're to use these gifts for the good of the church. And the final point is this. Gifts are meant to glorify God, not the gift bearer. We're doing all of this for the glory of God. So we don't get our church looking great so that we can say, look how great we are. Look what great painters we are and landscapers we are and all of this. No, you know what it is? We want you to get a glimpse of how good Jesus is, how serious we take this thing called the gospel. We want you to see how important the church is to us. We want to communicate that in every way and shape and form possible. So our gifts are ultimately there to glorify God. Verse 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here's, here's the deal. If we're not serving... It's not just other people we're affecting. We're affecting the image of the glory of God. We're not bearing His image to the fullest. We were created in Christ, the Scripture says, for good works. So that others might be able to see the glory of Christ in us, through us. So when we serve, we should always be pointing people beyond ourselves to the glory of God. How do we live like there's no tomorrow? We pray effectively. May you join me in praying daily, fervently, not just before mealtime, fervently for lost people. We would not succumb to temptation, praying for our church. We should pray effectively. We should love genuinely. May we grow church and Christian community. Challenge you, have somebody else over to your house this week from the church. Cook for them. If you're a great cook, We'll be your guinea pig. You can try us out. Okay? You can't cook, invite Pastor Ben. I see him back. <laughs> He's nice. He won't tell you. All right? That is bad. Let's just get together. If you can't cook, order pizza. Right? Have some ice cold L.A.s. People will come. I promise you. We're to pray effectively. We're to love genuinely. And we are to serve eagerly. If you're not involved, be one of our leaders. We would love to get you connected. 
If you knew for a fact that Jesus would return within the next 24 hours, how would you spend the day? Let me close with a story, and I'm sorry this is a bit redundant. I've shared it a few times, but it fits so well with what I want to say today. Um, years ago, probably 12 to 15 years ago, as a matter of fact, preaching in a church in Lexington, I was an associate pastor there. My pastor was out of town, and it was just a couple weeks before my family would move to Tucson for a season. My whole family was at church. We were going to go out, I believe it was to Ramsey's after, uh, after church, and we were excited to be together with all of them. I'll never forget this as long as I live. We, I don't remember at all what I preached on, but I remember the response. And there was a, a family there who I'd never met before. And I, I look in the back, and they're just weeping through the whole service. They run to the altar. They're hungry. I, and I didn't know what was going on with them. And I just came, and I, I just asked them, I said, how can I, how can I pray for you? What's going on? They said, Pastor, we're not from here. They said, as a matter of fact, they said, we don't even know anybody at this church. We just prayed. We felt like the Lord led us to this church this morning. He said, the reason we're here, the man needed to tell me, he said, my father is dying in the hospital, and he's got probably less than 24 hours to live. I said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. He said, yeah, but the worst part is this. He's been church hurt. He hates anything to do with God. He really hates preachers. I didn't know what to say to that. But uh, he said he, he really hates preachers. And he said, I don't want him to die without Jesus. We don't know if he's going to make it another day. He said, the man just looked at me. He said, would you pray for us? We would have the words to say. Would you just pray for my dad? Pray for his heart to be softened. I said, absolutely. So we joined together. We held hands and circled around. We prayed fervently. And while I was praying, I felt the Lord just lay on my heart that I needed to go. And I was a young pastor. New at this. This kind of scared me. I felt the Lord tell me to go to the hospital and to pray for him. To live like there's no tomorrow. So I asked, the, after we finished praying, I asked the man, I said, listen, I said, is there any way, and the devil the whole time is speaking to me, Ramses, Ramses, Ramses. I said, I said, is there any way I could go pray for your father? He just looks at me. He's blown away. He says, I would do that. I said, I said, where's he at? He said, he's in UK hospital. So Nick and I went. We drove right over, and we'll meet you there. So we, we go up to, to the floor where he's at, and, and his son comes out when we get there to meet us. He says, listen, thank you so much for coming. He says, let me just go back because I'm serious. My dad really hates preaching. He said, let me go back and make sure this is all right with him. Comes out crying after he's been back for a couple minutes. I'm back there. This is the power of prayer, folks. He wants you to come back there. So I go back. I'm a little scared. I don't know what's going to happen. And I go back and I didn't expect this. He's completely coherent, but he's got a tooth down his throat. And I'm trying to lead this man to the Lord. And I'm thinking, all right, he's got to confess that Jesus is Lord. How's he going to do this with a tooth down his throat? Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit? who leads us in times like this. So I, I look at him and I, I introduce myself. I said, I, I am a preacher. I'm here to, to give you another chance and let you know how much Jesus loves you. No matter what you said, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past looks like, the Lord is here by, because of him. I'm here because of the Lord's great mercy. 
sent me here to, to proclaim the gospel to you again. Here it is, simply gospel. Share it with me. Here wells up in his eye. Just rolls in one tear. Streams down his cheek. I'll never forget it. And I said, sir, I know you can't speak. Here's what the Holy Spirit wanted me to do. I said, you'll take my hand. And I said, I want you to take your, your son's hand. Your other hand, I want you to grab your son's hand. His son and I were holding his hands. And I said, if you understand everything I just shared with you about the gospel, I just want you to, to clasp our hands two times, squeeze them twice. Wait, he waited just a moment. And felt that squeeze. I just began to, to well up with tears myself. And I thought, he understands the gospel. And then came the, the next question. Sir, would you like to receive Jesus Christ, your Lord, Savior, right now? That's what you want. I want you to squeeze our hands two times. You're straight down his face. So I just lead him through a prayer of repentance right there. As I said, if you want to repent of your sins, squeeze our hands. He does it. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, if you profess him as Lord, squeeze our hands. If you believe that you're saved, squeeze our hands and he squeezes it. I never saw the family again. I don't know what happened, but I'm just telling you, in that moment, we felt an urgency because we knew the great chances there for this man would be no tomorrow. I just want to suggest to you today that your lost friends and loved ones, the, the people who fill our community who are lost, none of them are guaranteed. May you and I, may we live with a sense of urgency. Here's what, how we're going to close today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come talk to me, please. But for the rest of us, assuming that I'm talking to many, many Christians, may we be compelled to share our faith like never before, to pray like never before, to love each other like never before, to serve like never before, to live like truly Jesus could come back any moment. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.